Praise the Lord, everyone. It's a joy to see each one of you here. Hasn't these services been fantastic? What a wind from heaven has been blowing in this place. And all of you here in the middle of a week, Brother Marquise, uh, Marcus Baptiste, this morning you mentioned how the Lord can move wonderfully on a Sunday morning. And he does that too, but he does it on Thursday mornings as well. <laughs> and so here we are on a Thursday, actually, afternoon with all of you. What a delight to see each of you. And it is truly my honor to be on this platform these, with these four esteemed men of God that are so wonderfully placed by the hand of God all across America and used around the world. And I do want to say we have accentuated today the subject of unity, and Brother Baptiste preached on that powerfully, and then Brother Josh Herring was used mightily in the subject of demonstration. And that's what our goal is today, is to uh, revisit these subjects. And the delightful thing about a forum is that we can unpack what the Holy Ghost just mysteriously blew into your life. And put a handle on it so you can find a way to transition from the heavenlies to the place we're assigned to walk. So I want to start, let's go with a beginning emphasis of the talk of unity. I think everything starts with unity. And if you don't mind, we'll start with you, Brother Urshan. Uh, if you have a, something pressing in your spirit about the subject of unity, it's an amazing subject. And... What do you feel when you press into that dimension? Behold. Behold. How good and how pleasant. Behold how good and how pleasant. It is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Uh, it is like the precious ointment. Um, I think that's what we have to understand about unity is that it is, it is like the anointing. It is like the precious ointment. Particularly, he said the uh, the ointment, the precious ointment. So, so you have the ingredients of the ointment that are crushed. All of the ingredients are crushed, and they are poured into the substance of the olive oil, which is also crushed, and and a result of a crushing. Therein, you have you have a picture of unity occurring. It occurs when all of us are crushed. All of our opinions, all of our speculations, all of our preferences and conjectures, all of that is crushed and, and poured out into the, the uh, anointing of God, which, which rests upon Christ. He is the anointed one. So it, unity does not occur by me deciding to agree with you and you deciding to agree with me and us putting aside our preferences. That's not where unity occurs. Unity occurs by all of us abandoning everything hmm. and coming into Christ. Hmm. It is in Christ where unity right. occurs. Absolutely. Brother Marcus Baptiste, what a tremendous message you preached today. What a word from the Lord. And uh, the process of unity with regard to where you stand. And I, I, will, I appreciate, the, if I could say it, we're cross-pollinating here, this panel. We've got uh, so many places represented here. When you speak an evangelist, they're the wanderers 
nomads, if you will, not really, but <laughs> I was once one, I understand. And then we have, Brother, the, the left coast, the west coast, Brother Morgan, <laughs> Brother Mark Morgan uh, here bringing that flow. But Brother Baptiste, as we look at unity, what was pressing from your spirit? Amen. Uh, I think something that I kind of had to learn, especially just as a young guy, you know, had a lot of passion, is not, uh, not to let my personal call get in the way of God's uh, kingdom agenda. And so what I mean by that is, is that a lot of times we take ownership of what was never ours. And so the call wasn't necessarily for us. It was for us to give to someone else. And so uh, really unity happens when you lose identity. And, you know, I uh, couldn't say it better than how he just did, but, but uh, just kind of on a practical level, uh, it's that abandonment of what I'm doing and what I'm going to do. And it's what we're doing and what we're going to do. You know, when we take on that kingdom agenda, uh, if, if I feel called to be an evangelist, but my pastor needs me at home, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to allow my personal call to get in the way of the kingdom agenda. If I feel to sing, but I'm asked to work sound, that's my personal call. But as a servant, I'm not paid to think, I'm paid to do. And so I render what I want to do for the service of the kingdom. Hey Amen. It's it, it. Takes us to our default starting spot in Acts 2, where they were all in one accord. It's so easy to run to where we're all headed, uh, which we all know is the outpouring, and we hasten past that one accord moment. Brother Herring, what a powerful word you, you gave to us. And as you unpack what you're hearing now and you're feeling an impression, what, where does unity flow to, towards that before we go to demonstration? I think that um, if you're connected, you can't compete. Spirit of competition is defeated by connection. If, you're, if I'm connected with you, I won't compete with you. If I'm competing with you, I won't connect with you. So you defeat competition by connecting with the person. You make that your agenda, and you admire them, and you find things to find about them that are amazing to you to kill that competition in your spirit. My pastor, Bishop Kinsey, said this. He said, that God will accept your sacrifice, Abel, and build you up higher than Cain, then turn around and let Cain kill you. And you still have to keep a right spirit and a right attitude. So I think that if we can constantly, you know, the Bible talks about edifying each other and esteeming others higher than ourselves. We, we, we esteem the greats, the elders that are powerful, but if it doesn't mean just the elders. It means everyone. So if someone's been in church five minutes, can I esteem them higher than I am. It doesn't mean that they have more revelations or more experience, but yet they're part of the body. And so can I esteem them as a higher part of the body than I am? That's what I think unity boils down. I, I hear a, a thread flowing through this from Brother Urshan mentioning ointment, which is a process. It's not just one article, but it is the blending, the coming into one unity. And as it flows through, Brother Morgan, when you took it to, I think it's one of the greatest things you said here earlier when he talked about how the greatest gift is the one I need right now. <laughs> that, that's the greatest gift. But then how you spoke of the fuel of the gifts is love, which I'm convinced that unity cannot exist without trust. And trust cannot breathe where there is no love. Where would you flow with that?
First of all, we're going to get to be able to hear him. <laughs> Three. Uh, first of all, I, I think a better word for what we're trying to describe or explain is found in the prayer of Jesus when he said, I pray that you're one with the Father. True unity is not us coming together united for what we think, what we want. We come in true unity when we're in oneness with each other and then we're in sync with God's purpose. Brother uh, Ershon mentioned uh, Psalms, how good it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. A lot of people that can kind of be in unity with something, but we're not together. Right. So I think it's important. Uh, Brother Baptiste's message today just really stirred a lot of thought. And um, first of all, we talked about the anointing a while ago, and he mentioned the flowing down and the crushing. But the other description of that unity was like the dew that descended upon Mount Hermon. And I was asked one time to explain to me my view of the United Pentecostal Church. And I was scrambling around when I kind of got this little thought. The dew that descends upon that mountain, or even snow, I guess, starts up at the top. And then as it begins its descent, it creates a little trickle. And then these trickles flow together and become um, a stronger flow. And then they join. It's not that we're asking people to move away from their own bringing influence or whatever to their area. The true unity is when all those different continents flow together. And by the time it gets to the bottom of the mountain, it's the mouth of the Jordan River. And that's why the psalmist said, for there God commanded the blessing and life forevermore. But it didn't start that way. And unity has, has a power of us coming together because a little twig or a branch falling or a rock can stop a flow at that level. But if we combine together in unity and we're in sync with his purpose, then it creates a stronger flow. And if we ever get it together, you know, we, I've, I've been very fortunate to be involved in big meetings or whatever, and we wonder, well, why is there such an anointing there? Well, because there, right, God commanded the blessing. So there's something about us coming together in unity that there is a commanded blessing because I think we're fulfilling the prayer of Jesus that we're one. I'm hearing the voice of a 15-year-old young lady who has prayed and sought God to use her mightily. And yet her sphere, even at school, is screaming the tearing apart of cultures and of people groups. And yet God is trying to put it together. If we can take this and put it as a garment she could, could put on, Brother Herring, you've been blessed in that you have been a gatherer of, of ministry. Uh, if you are speaking, let's, I just want to make it for, and 
She's not imaginary. She probably really exists, probably sitting somewhere over here. But as a 15-year-old <laughs> girl wanting to be mightily used in a realm where supposedly the ladies aren't as whatever, that's not true, but that could be a pressure in that, that world, and yet wanting to be anointed and used in a world that's trying to tear her apart, what would you say to her to say, here's steps one, two, three, to fight for unity? I mean... First of all, don't try it alone. Unify with those that, someone around you. Uh, one can put a thousand to fly and two ten thousand. And so, I think there's something powerful about a young person that that gets the revelation that I can't do it on my own. I can't change the whole world, but I can change someone's world. And if you don't try to take on the burden of everything, but just try to find one person that you can. You can be a blessing to. You can change their world. You can minister to them. That will create that flow where you, where you get a hunger for it. And obviously it grows and manifests. I, I think that there are so many young people in this room and in our world, in our movement, that they look up and they think, I'll never be able to do these great things. I'll never be able to be used like that. I'll never be able to do this or that. And yet they have that hunger to do it. And... But if you can just focus the hunger on someone near you, change their world, be that light to them, be the voice of unity to them, and you become just as powerful and just as great as anyone on the platform at Youth Congress or anything, you're doing something in the eyes of your father that no one else around you can do. Brother Baptiste, you, you said something amazing earlier when you were referring to the garment, the mantle, and how they gambled over it. It was the last thing he had lost, but it wasn't about that piece of cloth. It was about the sacrifice on the, on the cross there. You also acted like you're from the Caribbean. Is this an accurate statement? Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> He played that card like if all you had for Christmas was a house, you're supposed to be happy. <laughs> uh, but your journey to ministry, to usefulness, somewhere in there you have found some handles to grab that brought you through moments where you felt forgotten and abandoned and yet you knew God called you. What were some of those handles for these, these out here that are trying to take that step, millennials that are saying, yes, it's it's my hour, but I need something to help me through that spot. What, what's brought you through those seasons? Yeah, so um, just kind of make the long story short, but uh, I was the first one to come to church. I was 15 years old, like I elaborated earlier, and uh, without getting into great detail, uh, just, I didn't come from uh, a very apostolic background. There was just a lot going on, but uh, when, I, when I first got into church, um, I, I didn't really know much about anything, uh, but if there's something that I can look back on now and that I've learned is uh, the sensuality of uh, fatherhood. And uh, I say that, and, and give me a second to elaborate, but uh, Paul says you have many teachers but have not many fathers. Uh, and uh, the Lord began to reconstruct my family unit spiritually. 
speaking, uh, because you are where you come from. I know we like to say, well, you, you don't have to identify with your family. Well, the reality is you do identify with your family. It's just that God reconstructs your family. And so uh, I connected with the father. I know this is uh, taking a stretch out here, but, but Jesus connected with Joseph before he connected with God. Right. And so there was this there was this transition that takes place. Joseph brought Jesus to the temple and that's where Jesus began to be about his father's business. And so that being said, uh, my pastor, my pastor uh, really functioned as a role as a father. Uh, I don't say this lightly. I, I, tr I truly mean this. Um, Brother Herring, when he when he got a hold of me, uh, I I'd never fasted, never prayed. I remember I went on my first day of fasting. And uh, I mean, he hyped me up. I mean, I'd call him be like, hey, bud, you know, he'd hype me up and, you know, you're going to change the world. And I'm fasting one day. And I remember I went to school. I had like 15 canteens with me. I had tomato juice. I had broth. I had water. <laughs> I mean, just fasting one day. That's but, not fasting. <laughs> <laughs> at the time, he told me it was acceptable. But he, he him and my pastor... <laughs> I've, I've grown from them. I just stick with the tomato juice and broth. I cut out the Kool-Aid. But um, <laughs> at the time, at the time, I could not see myself. What you have to realize is that Adam didn't understand who he was because he had a mirror. He understood who he was because he understood who his father was. And so God was the reflective nature. So he saw who God was and said, that's who I am. And so God positioned people like my pastor who played the role as a father, Brother Hang, who played the role as a brother. And uh, these people just begin to speak into me. And I could not see myself, especially if you don't come from an apostolic home. I did not know who I was. For me, if, if I made it out of high school, if I didn't get someone pregnant, that was, that was acceptable. So how do you go from that to seeing millions get the Holy Ghost? The transition was somebody who was in the middle who could Speak. connect me to the promise, even though I was still living in my family's past. And so I want to encourage you. You have to connect with the father. Your, your pastor needs to play two roles. And you really, if you don't have it, because I have a great father, but we just didn't connect on that level. Uh, my pastor was not only my pastor. He transitioned into becoming a spiritual father. And that is a process. Right. But the Lord had to take me through that. And as he took me through that, I saw who I was supposed to be. Because I understood if that's my father and I'm a son, if that's my big brother and I'm the little brother, I should reflect their nature. And that's what gave me the handle. So I held on to them when I didn't believe in myself. Because I understood that if I can trust them and they trust me, I can trust myself indirectly because of what God's saying through them. Oh, that's awesome. To hear from these various voices is so uh, impressive to me. And I'm going to ask Brother Joel Urshan to wrap up our segment on unity. Because Brother Urshan, you wouldn't say this, but I will. You have been a savant preacher. You were preaching as a young teenager, substantial meetings. You know it. You lived it. I watched it. And everybody here knows the hand of the Lord has been demonstrated through you in various ways. Great legacy, your father, great pastor, your grandfather. We all are here because of wars that he fought on our behalf. But that comes with a heaviness as well that many times people are not aware of. They're, they're not cognizant of the price that comes with that to be so dynamically used, not of your grandfather, not of your father, of the Lord, as a teenager, I hate to tell you, you're not that anymore. I mean, I like the pink specks in your socks and how you're working the shoes. Uh, 
and you're even getting by with jeans. Don't you know they were not on the, uh, anyway. <laughs> but, but you have earned the right <laughs> to speak with regard to this. What are some of those moments where you felt that loneliness, where you did not feel like you were attached, even though all the trappings say you are? What brought you through that and kept the unity? I want to say thank you, Brother Adams, for your very kind words. And uh, it's, it's one thing to talk about unity. And it is such a, a great ideal uh, and a, a wonderful prospect to consider. But it is agonizing to be in unity. And the, it is the reward to those who will survive and endure the agony involved with unity. Because unity becomes complicated when the twigs and the rocks disrupt the stream, as Bishop described. Um, you have to endure those twigs and rocks. You have to get beyond that. You have to get beyond snide comments. You have to get beyond betrayal people who were your friends who betray you. You have to love them anyway. And here's the thing about that. The Father sees in secret and rewards you openly. So when you love someone that you know does not love you, you know it because of varying reasons. God honors you for that. And God, God will bless them and change them. I, I've heard people describe, and, and the word that comes to my mind is the word forgiveness. It's, it's the biggest word that we could factor into this equation. And, it, and it's comprised of two words. It's a com, compound word. It's forgive. If you invert it, it's give for. And that's what we have to understand that Jesus did. He gave for. So nobody owes you anything. They don't owe you love. They don't owe you anything. Jesus gave for them. And so that gives you the ability to forgive them because you know he literally paid it all. So there's no debt. There's no debt. Nobody owes me anything. So I, I, I refuse to be offended. Doesn't matter what they said about me. Doesn't matter what they didn't involve me in. I refuse. I refuse in the name of Jesus to be offended because Jesus gave for me already and he gave for you already. That's forgiveness. It's give forness. And so you have to believe that. And as far as when your trust is broken, and you mentioned trust, Pastor Elms, the importance, the significance of trust uh, is so important. What do you do when you can't trust somebody, when they've proven that they, you can't trust them? You trust them anyway. Give them the gift of trust because it's not them you're trusting, it's God you're trusting. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I choose to trust that God will protect me to a greater degree than I trust that they will hurt me. And when I trust God enough to keep me while I love them, though they may hurt me, it changes them in the process. 
That's the kind of love that causes a Roman centurion to stand off in the distance after seeing the wounds and the bruising and the chastisement and the affliction and the smitten nature of Christ and say, truly, this was the Son of God. And it changes their heart. If you think, if you think that being forgiven feels great, you ought to try being forgiving. Forgiving. It feels greater than being forgiven. Weep with them that weep. Rejoice with them that rejoice. Don't get that turned around. Don't rejoice with them that weep. When your friend gets elevated, rejoice with them. When there's promotion, rejoice with them. The Father looks upon that, and, he, and He's greatly pleased, and He will honor you. And I will say, I've heard people say, don't forgive people. Don't forgive people for... Uh, what it will do for them, forgive them for what it will do for you. I've heard people say that. I take exception to that. No. Forgive them for what it will do for them. Expunge their record. Remove it from their record. I will not hold this against you. I, I remit that in the name of Jesus. Say like Stephen said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Do you know what he was saying? He was saying when they stand before you in judgment, don't bring this up. Don't let this be one of the things that stands against them. If they hurt me, if they kill me, don't hold it against them. That's forgiveness. And that's what changes the world. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, what did they not know they were doing? They knew they were putting a spear in his side. They knew they were putting stripes on his back. They knew they were putting thorns on his head. What did they not know? They knew not that they crucified the Lord of glory. And what the person who offended you does not know is that when they've done it unto you, they've done it unto him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that's what changes it. We've been bouncing around this. You know, you preached about the cross and being crucified. It's impossible to crucify yourself. I went one time out in the garage and got a hammer and a nail. I mean, I didn't actually pound the nail in my hand, but I held it over here to see. I, had the, I, can, I can nail this one, but that's as far as I can go. So God allows people into my life that are agents of crucifix. That's why he calls Judas friend because he was helping him go on to fulfill the purpose of God in his life and he calls Peter Satan because he's trying to stop him from doing the will of God in his life and so God allows people into my life to see if I'm really dead or they're going to help get it done they're not my enemies they're my friends so what I'm hearing is that the ability to arrive at a place called trust supersedes the object that you have to trust. It transcends their faithfulness into your purpose. And so as much as I would like to tell all of you that you'll never have those come against you and stab you in the back, and people will not speak of you and about you differently than they speak to you, that we're hearing that they're just agents of your transformation. Yes. 
and that if God be for you, who? So if you can hold on to that the next time you face a betrayal, that'll help you keep walking. Because our transition is moving from the place of unity to the place of demonstration. And, I'll, and, and we're going with a, a sacred order here that is sort of chaotic. But I've started with Brother Ursh and went that way. This time I want to go this way and then redound and let Brother Morgan hear it last. But I'm coming to you, Brother Morgan. I, I've been working on this thing called the hierarchy of holiness. That's what, at least what I called it. And it's just three components. It first starts with knowledge. And then when you move to the next level, you arrive at wisdom. And then the highest of it all is understanding. Knowledge, you've got to know at least the ingredients with which you have to work. Wisdom is discerning. What does this mean in the bigger picture? Understanding it means where am I to move things? What would God have me to not know, not to think, but to do? Demonstration. And Brother Morgan, you have been used mightily, and I'm not trying to flatter because flattery is not real. It's obvious to the whole movement. And uh, you have been used prophetically, and then God placed you into an administrative category, which didn't fit real good, but you wore it good. You handled it. <laughs> Because it's needed. It's the difference between the high priest and the prophet. Both, both of them are needed. Uh, but I want to hear when it goes towards demonstration, the journeys you've taken from southern Missouri all the way to where you are now in beautiful California. What's echoing in your heart with regard to demonstration? I want, I'm not in your generation. You're much older than I am, okay? But... <laughs> But having said that, I'm too old for the generation we're speaking to. This conference is for those that are leaning into the wind for a generation that is here but not yet known. What would you say to them to move into demonstration? Um, I can't believe you said that. I'm <laughs> even much older than you. <laughs> Let's talk about it, Dairy Queen. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think Brother Ams and them preached after they got married their first revival in a little place called Oak Mogey, Oklahoma. Matter of fact, Sister Ams' father, Billy Hill, pastored there. I, when I first went there, everybody talked about for the good when Brother Hale was here, Brother Hale was here. So I decided I'd better find this Brother Hale and get acquainted with him, and I did. It's, it's, it's been a great relationship. So, uh, on a Saturday night in prayer, there was a season in my life where uh, every Saturday night, uh, about 9, 9.30, he would walk in. And it was, I don't know, several weeks. Some of those sessions ended me going directly to our Sunday service through the night, just such a visitation. Uh, revelation began to come. And one of the things that started there was, I'll, uh, I'll give you understanding about sonship. And so then he spoke and said, and tomorrow night I will give you my perspective toward the miraculous. And tomorrow night I will everything in the building. 
And I thought, man. And so he gave me a little thought about the children's bread when the woman needed a miracle. Jesus referred to it as the children's bread. He didn't call it a miracle. This is just what a father provides for his children. So it kind of helped me. So the next night, you know, I was so used to emotional response. Sunday morning, I preached about oneness, and they were, you know, buying chunks out of the ceiling. But we got back. I announced Sunday that we're going to have a healing service tonight. When we got back, I don't know what happened to the congregation that was there Sunday because they didn't come back Sunday night. <laughs> Because it's more about entertainment for Pentecostals. Okay, let's see you do your little tricks up here. You know, pull the rabbit out of the hat or whatever. Hmm. And let's, let's see what you're going to do. So I preached, and it was dead. And now I don't know what to do because I felt and God was teaching me to separate their emotional response from what he spoke to me. So... So I come off the platform. I said, all right, if you need a miracle, line up. So they did. First lady in line had Parkinson's. And I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, now we're serious. This is big. You don't put a guy in the batter's box and start out throwing 98-mile-an-hour fastballs. Let him warm up a little bit. A couple back aches, some headaches. Yeah. Stuff people can't see would really help me here a little bit. Blood disorder. I really didn't have the faith to do it. And this is where God taught me the lesson on the gift of faith. My faith can only go so far, and sometimes my faith is insufficient. So this is where the gift of faith operates. It's God giving me that gift to compensate for the lack of. So when I stepped off the platform, I felt something drape over my shoulders, and I heard the voice of God say, the gift of faith now rests upon you. And so I didn't even get to go pray for the lady. I started over there, you know, with my bottle of oil, and I'd already had my cards printed up, Faith Healer coming to town. <laughs> I didn't even get to pray for her. I got maybe 10 foot from her, and she just starts spinning. Now, remember, I mean, her arm's drawn, Parker's, and she's just spinning. And then when she stopped spinning, the arm come down, and I'll never forget it. She looked at me like surprised. Oh, my God, it's gone. And I'm just standing there like, wow. <laughs> and the next thing, the lady behind her is healed. I haven't anointed a person. Haven't even prayed the prayer. It's just <laughs> happening. All the way down the line, across the back, everything in that building that lined up that night was healed. Okay, let me hasten. The next day, we went to have lunch. Dylan's dad, my ugly brother, Jeff. <laughs> I hope he's watching too. Amen. Dylan looks just like his dad. Oh, I know. <laughs> Acts just like him too, I tell you. <laughs> and uh, Jeff and, and a guy by the name of Steve Clark were there. So we went to have lunch, and they were so excited. Oh, my God, that service last night. I didn't like it. I really didn't. And I backed away from it because... In my mind, everybody that I had known that had been associated with the gift ministry went wacko and ended up in Waco. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They shipwrecked. So I said, there's no future in this. 
There's absolutely no future in this. So I backed away. Um, two or three months go by. Girls are getting up, getting ready to take them to school. Phone rang, I picked it up. It's back, you know, when the days, you kids don't know what I'm talking about, the long extension cords that twirled all the way up. <laughs> you had to have a PhD to figure out how to untangle it. <laughs> and so the phone rang and I picked it up. Hello, is this Brother Morgan? Yes. My name is Marilyn Chenault. My first introduction to the prophets. My name is Marilyn Chenault, and God has spoken to me. I've been praying for you, and God spoke to me something. I said, okay. I don't know if you'll receive a word from a woman. I said, well, sure. Well, some men want. <laughs> I said, yeah, I've met a few. She said, the Lord, this is what he spoke. Have you not been asking how to be used in the gifts of the Spirit and not be destroyed? And I said, well, I was sitting on it, and I said, yes, ma'am, I have. She said, the Lord told me to tell you the answer. I said, okay. She said, the gifts must flow from, through, and by love. And if you operate them outside of that, you're on your way to destruction. She said, it will take you a while to learn this, but you will. And she said, now, this is not from the Lord. This is from me. Like that. I can tell everything I need to know about a man by how he treats his wife. Have a good day. Click. Ah, ha, ha. Yeah. Boom. So that's why I was saying a while ago, it's, it's, I'm still not there yet. Brother Ewing, Brother McClain, these people that came into my life, it wasn't, please don't miss it, it wasn't great faith that they exemplified. They had it. It was great love. A lady said, I seen in a vision a service, and she said, all of a sudden, it moved from faith to compassion. And she said, when it did, the miraculous broke. So I really do believe that the key to us being used in that demonstration stems from what I was saying a while ago. It's me ministering. I have this word from God, but at the same time, I'm looking out there and I'm thinking, man, my preaching is, it's not meeting the need. I mean, I hate to say it, the word is, but, but it's when that compassion comes in, I'm watching this, and Jesus, the Bible said he was moved with compassion when he seen them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And you look out there and you see so many needs and then you understand that there should be a companion with the word. It's called confirmation. He confirms his word with signs following. Every sermon that I preach, I usually pray as I start that sermon. I pray that you confirm your word with signs following. Yes. Then I learn not to attach it. I mean, I don't care if you're singing fast, slow, talking about fine carpet and I'm in the service I know what God spoke to me I'm very confident in that and then once I speak that then I know that he loves those people enough to allow that demonstration to be spontaneous and to happen and for there to be a flow it starts from me flows out to them and I'm, I'm trying not to preach here 
the fruit that Jesus talked about was not souls. You don't bear fruit, you're going to be cast into the fire. Men aren't going to cast you into the eternal lake of fire. That's what he said. Angels might, but not right, men. Right. The fruit is the very first thing that Paul talks about is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And the fruit that Jesus was talking about is love. And if you stay connected to me, that will flow through you. I cannot produce it. It's a gift that comes from him, and it flows through, which is where I believe the gifts of the Spirit flow through and that demonstration that we're talking about. But if I get disconnected, so I, I know this is way off what people think, but I really do believe that a part of the demonstration of that service hinges on me making sure I'm connected to the vine, mm. that it can flow through right. me to them. Yes. Now, sometimes I succeed in that. Many times I fail. That's my idea about the demonstration and where we will see this demonstration out. Now, they can give you some more practical keys and all that, but this is my driving theology and philosophy about, and we're going to see it. The stage is being set. Right. What a great opportunity we have. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have loved one, not four, tolerance, but love one toward an expression. Yes. In the Greek, Movement. it's a verb. A God yes. is a verb. It's an action. You can't say it. It right. has to be an action. And so I think that it's set. The racial tension, hmm? all the anarchy in the streets, everything is just what a great opportunity yeah. for the church to manifest. If we really want to talk about a demonstration, I think the world needs a demonstration right. of the love of God. Yes. I know that's a little off what we're talking about here today, but if, we're, if we'll go out there and just demonstrate it, it's what you said a while ago. These signs will follow them that believe. Yeah. If I look on them with compassion and love and I see them as Jesus did and I can start ministering to them, I'm taking too much time. <laughs> that's good stuff. You know, it's crazy how in our lexicon as apostolics we have our own vocabulary. And when we hear the word demonstration, <laughs> we're thinking Sunday at church, a move of God. Well, anybody who's a newcomer in our movement, which we're continually thankful that it's growing and bursting with newcomers, they hear demonstration, they're thinking of Pickard signs and walking out and, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And, and I think somehow the conf confluence, if that is the word, the coming together of both meanings are correct. Brother Josh, you have uh, been used of God. You know, it's one thing to go in a room it's another thing to read a room, but it's even more to move a room. And I've watched your ministry as the Lord's continued to have it blossom. And it seems like the power of faith comes through your voice. And you're able to take those people who might feel fragile and hesitant and move them to action. Where do you find that the secret? If, if they're not trying to be Josh Herring because they can't be. They're not from Alaska. There's only one or two of those people in the world. Um, but if they can't be Josh Herring, but they can know the God of Josh Herring, what were those things that moved you from being that football player in Alaska to being the man of God where you are now? Were there words of boldness that you got a hold of that you can impart? 
Wow. Uh, thank you. And um, <clears throat> I'd say there was a lot of <laughs> rebukes <laughs> and a lot of suffering, a lot of fasting, a lot of praying, a lot of loneliness. Uh, I'll start by saying that I remember when Bishop Morgan came up to preach for Brother Blackshear in Alaska, and I was just, uh, well, I just started preaching, so I was around 18, and I was so excited to meet Bishop Morgan. I mean, I could not wait. This is like, you know, the man. Absolutely. And this is going to be, I have inside acts. I live at the church. I mean, I'm going to get to hang out with him, ask him all these questions. So he comes in and, and preaches and blows it up on Wednesday night. And Brother Blackshirt comes to me and says, uh, I'm taking Brother Morgan out to eat. You're going to take Mason, my son, home. See you tomorrow. And I was like, but he's leaving tomorrow. He said, if you're going to be an evangelist, you better embrace the cross of loneliness now. And uh, it was the most powerful revelation at that time because I had all these hopes to be connected to greatness and just be noticed by greatness, be in the room with greatness. And yet it was a wrong motive. It was, you have to go die, go die, go die. I'll say this about demonstration. If you want God to use you mightily, God has to trust you. One of the greatest lessons I learned, I learned watching Brother Hernandez preach a message. He had preached at a church two different Sunday morning services, 9 a.m. and 11. I watched it online. I learned something that hit me. In the first service, he's preaching, and he said, the Lord just said 3,000. It was a crowd of about five or 600 people. He said, the Lord said 3,000. They all got up and clapped. The next service, he said, the Lord spoke to me this morning in the first service and said 3,000. I don't know if that's 3,000 people, $3,000, 3,000 souls. Just receive the multiplicity of 3,000 right now. And they kind of received it. And they kind of just stared at him. And then a few minutes later, he, he named somebody. He said, is there a su such and such in this room? Gives the guy's name. Nails it. And it hit me. The Lord gave him a number, and the human tendency would be to, when you say God said 3,000, would be to, when you don't, when you're not received well by the people, would be to add to it. There's going to be a 3,000 soul revival. God's going to give you 3,000 people. But God didn't say, I'm going to give you 3,000 people. He said 3,000. So when Brother Hernandez did not cave to the pressure of the response of the people, and just looked foolish by saying it, God trusted him with a word of knowledge a few minutes later and said, there's a certain person in this room with this name. He, he didn't worry about the connection with the people. He worried about his connection with the voice of God. I remember, I remember uh, one time, I'll tell you two little things and I'll get out of the way. I remember at one time being on an airplane this happened, it was a little season where this thing, these two things happened in about a month's time. I was on an airplane, a lady sat down beside me, and I was hungry for this stuff that Bishop walks in, and, and I was sitting there, and the Lord said, ask her about Rick. I said, who? He said, her. I said, what? <laughs> this has never happened to me. Ask her if she knows Rick. I mean, I haven't even said hi to her. 
do you know Rick? Exactly. She went, no. I said, thanks a lot. <laughs> Laid down, closed my eyes, feel like a fool. He said, tell her Rick's going to be okay. Absolutely not. I rebuke this demon. Whatever's wicked in my head, I don't want to be a weirdo. I look over, she's half asleep. I'm like, do I have to? Rick's going to be okay. She goes, oh my goodness. Do you mean my son Patrick, who's in prison, who I've been asking God about? Is he going to be okay because his court date comes up next week? He only gave me part of his name. I felt foolish. About a week later, I'm going to preach in a town outside Chicago. And I'm driving there, and the Lord says, pray for Xavier. Who's Xavier? He didn't say anything. And I'm just going to be very transparent and tell you what happened. You guys can just blast me. Bring it. I'm used to it. Um, I get to the hotel, and he says again, pray for Xavier. And I said, okay, God, whoever Xavier is, I pray for him in Jesus' name. Thought nothing. I went to the church, start preaching my message. In the middle of the message, he says, have the congregation pray for Xavier. And here's where I missed it. I was worried about their response, Bishop. So I said, does anyone know an Xavier? He didn't say, ask them if they know Xavier. He said, pray for Xavier. No one responded. It got tighter and tighter. Then he whispered, Xavier's a child. Have them pray for Xavier. And I said, does anyone know Xavier? He's a child. You're talking about it, getting a really rough atmosphere stirred up. He's a child. Nothing. Then he said, Xavier's a child. He's in danger. I said, someone, please, do you know Xavier? He's a child. He's in danger. People started walking out of the room. There was about 100 people when church started. There was about 20 people. And a man run, talks to a lady, runs up and says, we found it. I said, what? He said, this lady right here said, Xavier's a five-year-old boy in her class. His dad's in a gang, was just released from prison this morning at the house. And I thought, what in the world? And I'm just, just going to be very honest with you. After that moment, Pastor Elms, that went away. All that whispering the names, it went away. And when I saw Brother Hernandez do that 12 years later, a few months ago, the Lord said, I took that away because I could not trust you. Wow. You were more concerned with people's reaction than obeying my voice. He brought it back, but with a painful lesson of 12 years of delay. I want to tell you in the Holy Ghost, I feel God right now. Who cares what people say around you? Obey God and don't add anything to it, but just do exactly what the Lord says and you'll step into demonstration. Hallelujah. Brother Baptiste, why don't you add to this conversation? Amen. There's, there's not much to add, but <laughs> um, I, when it comes to demonstration, that's, that's kind of what brought me uh, to the place that I am now. Just kind of make a long story short. I got in school. I didn't really have many friends. Uh, I kind of lived my life. Uh, I taught Bible studies and listened to sermon, listened to guys like these, actually just about everybody on the platform. Uh, and, and 
that's just kind of how it was. And uh, my family kind of followed that. My sister got in church. She taught her first Bible study the next week to like nine of her friends. Darian, if you could raise your hand, product of that. My little brother's here as well. Um, but uh, that being said, uh, we kind of engaged a climate of demonstration. Uh, it was something that we made a part of us. Uh, and there, there's something that I've learned uh, that demonstration has a purpose. And sometimes we remove the purpose, but we still want the product. And uh, the Bible makes it, I mean, the scripture has been quoted so many times. These signs shall follow them. That denotes activity. If you're not going anywhere, nothing's there to follow you. And the issue is, is that we want people, we, we want demonstration, but we don't want to reach people. We want to see miracle signs and wonders, but we don't want to love people. And so we're not going anywhere, so nothing is able to happen. And so I, I would say when it comes to the thing of demonstration, the biggest thing that had to change, I'll be honest, as an evangelist, I remember the Lord convicted me. I was just praying one time. God just asked me plainly, he said, does it, does it not bother you that as an evangelist you see more people healed in a building than you do outside? There's seven and a half billion people in the world, and the only time I'm willing to speak faith is when I'm around 100. And something in me was adjusted from that point forward, and I'm still there, that I, I, I realized my motives for demonstration were wrong because Bishop already said it. Confirmation was to the word. I needed the, I needed the demonstration to confirm my ministry. Right? And here's where it gets even worse. It's because when you want cancer to be healed, but you have to be the one to pray for it. Do you love the person or do you love your reputation? Right. Right? And the thing is, is that demonstration comes at the cost of your pride because you have to be willing to step out even when it doesn't happen. I, if there's one thing that I've learned by these men that have been used in the, in the gifts is that for every one person that they've seen healed, they've seen 10 that weren't healed. And, 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 and it, the, I think the reason why the Lord does it, this happened, just really quick, this happened in the book of Joshua. Uh, I, I think it was the tribe of Benjamin that was up fighting uh, the rest of Israel. And uh, the people of God said, God, shall we go up and shall we go battle? And he says, go, and they fail. And they go again, he says, go again to God. Says, shall we go? They go again, and they fail. The third time says, go, and this time you'll have victory. And I've always asked, God, why did you send them two times prior and nothing happened. And I felt the Lord speak to me. He said, I had to send them two times before the victory so that when they got the victory, they didn't think it was them doing it. And we can't be trusted with the nine times of nothing happening. So we don't receive the one time of it actually happening. And can I tell you, if there's something that I've learned, especially just watching these men, is that if you're going to see things happen, you have to be willing to step out. Not because of what you're going to see, but out of obedience. I had to learn to pray for people out of obedience, not out of results. If God told me to pray for you and you're in a wheelchair, it's not that I did not believe it would happen. I just knew that the master told me to do something. We're trying to be CEOs when we were called to be servants. And if we would come back to obedience, we would learn to see demonstration. The ministry of basketball in Philadelphia, Minister Allen Iverson said, practice. Practice. We're talking about practice. Practice. The greatest books ever written was the practice of the presence of God. Do it because it's the right thing. You obey. Brother Urshan, give us what's bubbling in your heart about this. Well, I think it's all interconnected. Uh, unity, demonstration, um, and I, I was so moved hearing uh, Bishop Morgan describe the, the root of demonstration is in compassion. 
and you see that in the ministry of Jesus. So many miracles prefaced with the fact that he was moved with compassion. And there's a lesson in that alone to know that when you are moved with compassion, you are on the precipice of the miraculous. Um, where does compassion come from? How does one cultivate compassion? Compassion comes from suffering. So when you are suffering, God is developing compassion within you. You did not know how to have compassion. And you can't just have compassion because we say to have compassion. If you'll have compassion, then you will, you'll see the miraculous. No, you are going to have to have a genuine development of compassion within you. And that is going to come through suffering. And it will, it will take you through a very deep and dark and challenging journey. And there will be moments when you do not know where God is, but the light of God will shine upon you so deeply, it will forever change your life, and you will have compassion upon people who go through those deep and dark valleys. So do not resist the suffering. The suffering is developing compassion within you. I'm going to go back just real quick concerning the matter of forgiveness and the matter of unity because it, it, it relates. The guy that, at the crucifixion of Jesus, the, the centurion that makes me the, the most frustrated is the one who took the spear and drove it into the side of Jesus. Because my thought is, really? Yeah. Really? I mean, he, the, you have mutilated this man, an innocent man, and you, you have destroyed him physically and you're going to just take a spear and ram it into his side like he hasn't suffered enough? And that frustrated me. And, and then what's interesting about that is that when he drove the spear into the side of Jesus, he did not, Jesus did not wince. He didn't, he didn't blink. He, he didn't react. The only response was that blood and water flowed. And the reason for that is because he was already crucified. And... And the test of whether our flesh is crucified is how we react to those who wound us. If, my, if I react, then my flesh is still alive. Jesus wasn't crucified when he was wounded or bruised. He was wounded and bruised when he was wounded and bruised. He was crucified when he gave up the ghost. Yes. And that's how your flesh is crucified. You give up those ghosts and... and and you become crucified with Christ. And when the wounds come, the test of whether your flesh is crucified is that only blood and only water will flow. And, and that's where compassion comes from, is through the suffering, the fellowship of his suffering. My great-grandfather was going to go to Persia after having received the Holy Ghost in Chicago. He wanted to take this message of the Holy Ghost outpouring and infilling to his family. And he knew that he would die. He went with the expectation of being a martyr. And there, in his mind, there was no question, I'm going to die. There was severe unrest. The Armenian genocide was underway. And he would absolutely die as a martyr for Christ. And he was willing to go. And on his way there, he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, I need all nine gifts of the Spirit in order to do this work for you. And the Lord said, you're praying the wrong prayer. It's one of the beautiful things about communing with God is He will teach you how to pray. And if He can get you to pray right, it's limitless what He can do through you. And He said, you're praying the wrong prayer. And it, it stunned my great-grandfather, and he said, okay, well, then 
at least give me the working of miracles and the discerning of spirits. Because if I have the gift of discerning of spirits and the gift of working of miracles, I think I can just about take anything. You know, I can deal with whatever comes against me. The Lord said, you're still praying the wrong prayer. He said, Lord, teach me to pray. And he said, pray for compassion. And he said, every gift of the Spirit will flow from compassion. I was, I was praying years ago that the Lord would help me hear his voice. And I said, Lord, I want to hear your voice the way the prophets heard your voice. You know, in the Bible, the word of the Lord came unto Ezekiel. That the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah. And the word of the Lord came unto Isaiah. And the word of the Lord comes to me, and I'm like putting it through this process, and I'm checking its bags, and I'm checking for identity, and checking there's no expiration on the identity. And, and, uh, and by the time I actually hear what God is saying and act on it, the moment has passed. And I said, Lord, I don't want that anymore. I, I want... I want to know your voice, and I want you to speak to me, and I want to respond the way the apostles and the prophets responded. And I was praying this and fasting that God would let me hear his voice. And it was in the middle of the night, about 3.34 in the morning, that I woke up, and I just kind of sat up in bed and put my feet out of bed and stood up, and I just felt like walking out of the room and so I did and I walked out in the hallway and I just kind of went downstairs just out, kind of out of instinct you know there was no real directive or anything it was just I wanted to go downstairs so I went downstairs and then I went down through the hallway that led to the kitchen and and uh, went into the kitchen and just stood there and there was the phone over there and I, I wanted to go pick up the phone and I thought I'll just check the phone so I went and I picked up the phone you know just kind of out of instinct I guess picked up the phone and it, this was many years ago so it was we had a landline and there was a voicemail indicator there were eight voicemails on that phone I had gone to bed about 11.30 p.m. I'm now up at 3.34 in the morning and there are eight voicemail messages this can't be good I checked them and it was the voice of one of the ladies in our church in Indiana at the time her husband was dying of a massive heart attack I I hung up the phone, I, I, I got myself presentable, I ran out the door, and as I turned to lock the door, the Lord spoke to me and said, you just heard my voice. And I thought, I stood there for a moment and I thought, Lord, I don't remember you speaking to me. And the Lord in that moment, and it was just a moment, but he taught me something in that moment. He said, my voice is not external to you. My voice is within you. When you have my Holy Spirit, my voice is within you. My voice is when my instincts replace your instincts. And the, just waking up and wanting to get out of bed was the voice of God. Walking out of the hallway was the voice of God. Just going down the steps, it was the voice of God. Just I wanted to go do it. And it was my instinct to pick up the phone. All of that was the voice of God. So I began to understand how the voice of God operates. I don't have to wait for him to say something, I, I, whatever, whatever, whatever I'm feeling, it is God speaking. That's you, you cannot trust your instincts when you're operating in the flesh. But when you're walking in the spirit, you can trust your gut. You can trust your instincts. That's the voice of God. So fast forward a few years, I'm pastoring and I'm with a family in a hospital room. And I've, I've learned a little bit now how to walk 
with the voice of God and to hear the voice of God and to flow with the voice of God. I'm standing in the hospital room and they're, they're grieving over the, the situation with their loved one and the, I hear the voice. And the voice says, send everybody out of the room. And Brother Herring, I said, Lord, <laughs> and then what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? All right, everybody out of the room. And then what? Am I going to stretch myself out upon the man? And this isn't First Kings 17. This is 2,000-something. And I get, I get hauled out by security, and I'm telling them. But God told me this, and I said, Lord, then what? What do I do? And, and I didn't. I disobeyed the voice. I disobeyed the voice. I didn't send them out of the room. And I walked out of that room. I was so devastated. I, I was so upset at myself. I, I, I felt so badly that I had missed this moment. And I, I went to the Lord in prayer, and I said, Lord, I'm so sorry that I, I missed your voice. I disobeyed. And then I said, but Lord, in my defense, <laughs> in my defense, then what? What do I do after, after you say, send everybody out of the room? And, and the Lord spoke to me so gently. And, and that's what was, that was what was so beautiful about it was that he, he knows my frame and remembers that I am dust. And he was so careful with me. And he said, I would have told you what to do next. And that's how the voice of God works. It's one step at a time. And some steps are really big, bold steps. Take them anyway. Send everybody out of the room. You don't have to know what's going to happen next. All you know is the voice is speaking. Now, fast forward a few years from that, and I'm, I'm about to wrap up, but a young man in our church and his fiance were sitting at a red light. A car going 60 miles an hour didn't see them there, hit them full speed. The, the, the fiance had just a few uh, scratches and bruises, thank the Lord, but the young man was, was actually dead on arrival, and when they went to pronounce him dead on arrival his pulse came faintly to the surface and they, they rushed him to UC, University of Cincinnati Hospital, and they proceeded to, to work on him. They removed half of his cranium so his brain would swell. He, he was, they said he will die. He will absolutely die. And if by chance he lives, he, could be a, he would be a vegetable only. There's no, no chance of any kind of normal function ever to, to be reimagined in his life. The family was devastated. The church went to prayer. We all prayed, we all fasted, we all sought God. There was no improvement. He was, he was just lifeless on life support with his cranium off of his head, half of it, his brain swelling out. There was no hope. This lasted for about 50 days. And it was near Christmas, and we were having a get-together with some of the church leaders. And, and the call came in. The call was, the family's been called in. Jared is dying. Please pray. This is it. This is it. Everything has come to a, a screeching halt. So we prayed, and I, we all gathered. There were 15 to 20 of us. We held hands, and we prayed, and we rebuked every principality, and we bound every demon, and we cursed every sickness, and we did everything that we knew to do, and we finished praying, and the Lord spoke. The voice spoke. There was this instinct. I couldn't stop praying. I had to go pray somewhere. And so I went to the, the corner of the living room and I, I, I knelt into the, the corner of the living room and I prayed. I, I was trying to be discreet because people just kind of wiped their eyes and went back to normal little chit-chat. And, and that's okay, but, but the Lord told me, you don't get to stop praying. 
So I don't know what to pray. I've rebuked every demon I know to rebuke. I don't know what to pray. I've I've, I've bound this thing a hundred times and nothing's happened. So I I don't know what to pray anymore. And when you don't know what to pray, pray in tongues. The Spirit maketh intercession for us. And so I prayed in tongues and I spoke 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 in tongues and I just spoke in tongues until it lifted. Pray until it lifts. And when it lifts, something has happened. It lifted, and I came up from that experience, and I did not know what to do, but I knew exactly what to do. I knew to do whatever happened next. Whatever you feel to do, do it. Whatever comes out of your mouth, say it. doesn't matter. Don't question it. Don't hesitate. I stood up, and I walked over to the phone. I don't even know what's about to happen, but I said, give me the phone. We need to call Aaron back. And just as the Spirit gives the utterance for you to speak in tongues, the Spirit was giving me utterance. I didn't know what was about to come out of my mouth. I said, I need to get a hold of Aaron. We need to tell Aaron to go back into that room, the ICU room where Jared is laid. This is the brother-in-law, the future brother-in-law, the, the, the man in the hospital. I said, when Aaron gets in there, Aaron, pray for Jared. And I said, I don't mean ask God to heal him. We've done that. Pray for him. He cannot pray for himself. Pray his prayers for him. Pray his prayers that he would pray if he could pray them. And he stood at that bed and he said, Lord, this is Aaron. I'm going to pray the prayers Jared would pray if he could pray them. Lord, lift me up off of this bed of affliction. Lord, heal my body. Spirit of the living God, come into this room and raise me up. And he prayed like a house of fire, like it was Jared praying. And that compassion started moving. It was that deep love that he had for Jared that had him praying Jared's prayers. And, and, he, and it lifted. And he walked out of that room. Do you know the next morning Jared came up out of that coma in the name of Jesus? Hallelujah. Jared, Jared married the girl that was in the car. They have two beautiful children. Jared is a COVID survivor. He, he has a great job, graduated from the University of Cincinnati. It, 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 the Lord is good, and he operates through compassion. Yes. And, and you can trust your instincts when the compassion of God is moving on the inside of you for a person. That's the voice of God speaking to you. You can trust it. Go with it and obey. Obey, as Brother Baptiste said, what the Lord has put in your spirit to do. Oh, my, this is awesome. Oh, hallelujah. Thank the Lord for his word. We have some people that have ministered in food for you to go to from here. And here's what's so exciting. We've already been ministered to from Brother Herring and Brother Baptiste, but do you feel the virtue coming from Brother Urshan and Brother Morgan? This is just the beginning of what God's about to speak to us through them. So you want to be here the rest of this week. God's brought these men for us here now. Master, go with us as we come into the power and the unity of your calling for you have positioned us particularly here for this people and this period bless the food we're about to partake of let your anointing be upon us all in jesus name we pray 
Amen. God bless you. Why don't you give all of these forum participants a great hand of appreciation?